word of the Lord, inspired, inspiring, timely, and timeless. Out of John chapter 6, verse 1 and forward, I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me if you have them. If not, just listen. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, A 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. The word of the Lord. Tonight we uh, end and conclude a series we've been calling Making Room, which is about uh, hospitality. And I've been asking you to just uh, conduct a little thought experiment, an envisioning experiment with me. Imagine that we were an urban monastery in the heart of our city, and I've given you a very Simple definition that an urban monastery seeks the peace of the city by offering a school for the Lord's service and extending hospitality to guests. And we've gone back over church history. We've been looking at examples where these communities of work and prayer have have restored and renewed and blessed cities. Uh, And I'll give you another little quick lesson tonight. If we go to that next slide, some of you may have heard of, I think this is the most popular uh, book, Christian book ever written outside of the Bible, Thomas Akempis, The Imitation of Christ. He wrote in the 14th century, he lived in Northern Europe, and he was part of a movement called the Brothers and Sisters of the Common Life. And this was a movement that sought to restore the church, and they decided, you know what, we don't want to become monks, but we are all going to move into a large house on a city block, we're going to work together, we're going to pray for the city, have Bible study, and we're going to offer spiritual direction to our neighbors and bless them that way. And he wrote this book as a member of one of those urban monastic communities. And it's still having an influence today. Uh, We've been uh, relying heavily on Father Henry Nouwen this series to help us get a handle on uh, what hospitality looks like. And I think we have one, one more time. We'll look at a quote of his. And by the way, Father Nouwen was a priest who was a professor at Yale And he he went through a profound uh, experience with God, and he decided uh, to leave Yale, and he joined an urban monastery, and it was called L'Arche, and it was in Canada, and it was uh, 
made up of people with mental handicaps who had never even heard of Yale. And uh, some of his richest writings come out of what he learned about hospitality in that community. Um, Father Nowen says, Our society seems to be increasingly full of fearful, defensive, aggressive people, anxiously clinging to their property and inclined to look at their surrounding world with suspicion, always expecting an enemy to suddenly appear to intrude and do harm. But still, our vocation is to convert the enemy into a guest and to create a, fear and fearless, a free and fearless space where brotherhood and sisterhood can be formed and fully experienced. Um, that's hard to do. And if you're a Nowen fan, one of his last books was a biography where he was very honest about how hard that was and just how, how lonely he was uh, as a gay man. Uh, he really struggled uh, with all sorts of things, and he was very honest in his last book about trying to do that and the price that it, that it took on his, on his soul. So we're, we're ending the series here by going back to the beginning, and one of the things that I asked you the first night was we looked at Genesis 18, and we looked at uh, the three visitors coming to Abraham's tent, and Abraham extended hospitality to them, found that he actually was extending it to the Lord, and that becomes kind of the paradigm for biblical hospitality. And I asked you, uh, who has God brought to your tent? Because as uh, we often say, a need does not constitute a call, right? You, you, the Bible does not say you must meet every need you encounter. <laughs> if it did, we, we'd all be exhausted and quit. Uh, but God does bring some people to our tents that, that we are responsible to extend hospitality to. And I've been asking you to pray about, okay, who is that? Uh, who is that? And you know, sometimes it's, it's a refugee or a stranger or, or someone who is homeless. Um, but sometimes it can actually be someone that you're in relationship with, someone in your family, a uh, parent, child, uh, a teammate, uh, something like that. And it can be exhausting to try to do that. <laughs> it's a lot easier to just write them off and, you know, find another church or something like that. It's, um, it's hard work. And so the question that I wanted to ask as we ended our series tonight is, what do you do when you just feel like you don't have the resources to extend hospitality? You know, when the very thought of continuing to mentor the person that you uh, have been mentoring, or maybe the very thought of, uh, Gosh, there's this friend that I love, and we're, you know, we got to work some things out. But to be honest, I'm overwhelmed right now, and just the energy that that would take, I, I just don't have it. Um, what, what do you do? Well, I think this story can give us some, some clues. Jesus goes to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, because, uh, and a large crowd follows him um, because they'd seen him do miracles. Uh, the Sea of Galilee is, is actually very similar today to what it was 2,000 years ago. On the west side is where most of the people live. If you go there, you can kind of see the villages and the lights, and there's a, a good number of people. The north, northern Israel is still very uh, remote. Um, but the west side, the other side of the Sea of Galilee, um, is very desolate. Uh, it's a wilderness. Um, it, it's very remote. I was trying to think. It's been a while, but I think it took us like 45 minutes uh, on a highway to get from the west side of the lake to the east side of the lake. 
So walking would, would really put you out in the middle of nowhere. And what, what strikes me about that is that the disciples, in these, the disciples wind up in this situation where they're asked to feed this crowd uh, by following Jesus into the wilderness where there were no resources. And Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. And, and what I want to suggest to you tonight is that sometimes God, as you follow the Lord, will lead you to a place where you don't have the resources to do what he wants you to do. It doesn't seem fair, right? But sometimes God will lead you to a place where you just don't have the resources to be hospitable to that group of kids in your classroom, to that parent, to that friend. You just don't have it. And this is all part of the Lord's plan for us. Now, verse 3, Jesus went up from the mountain, and there he sat down with the disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? And he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. (laughs) So if you're in that situation tonight, or you just feel like you don't have the resources, Jesus has allowed you to be there to test you. Now, that Greek word is used two different ways in the New Testament. In Mark 4, or Matthew 4, it's used to tempt, the, the devil tempting the Lord. In 1 Peter 1, 6-8, it's used for a trial sent by God to purify your faith. And both of those, I think, are what happens when we come into these places where we lack the resources to do what God calls us to do. It can be a time of temptation when we just we want to despair of our faith, we want to be angry at the people around us, and also can be a time where we see God provide and come to know him more deeply. Well, the disciples do what we do in similar situations when uh, we're, we just have a problem we can't solve, we're overwhelmed. They begin to try to solve it. And so Philip says, 200 denarii wouldn't be enough. Uh, and what he's saying there, he's picking kind of a number out of the air. We might say a million dollars couldn't feed these people. Uh, and he's looking around and he's just, Jesus, Jesus asked him to feed them and there's not enough. And then Simon Peter's uh, Andrew he goes and finds this kid with a lunchbox and uh, shakes, shakes it open, finds a couple of loaves and a couple of smelly fish, and he dumps them on the ground. He says, Lord, that's all we got. There's nothing here. And I think that's kind of important to remember, that that is our human tendency, is to start with reason. Calculating what I got, trying to problem solve, And that's good, that's helpful, but there are times in life when God will bring you to the other side when you do not have enough resources to do what he's calling you to do. And so Jesus says, have the people sit down. Now, by the way, 
John is a beautiful storyteller, and so he's sprinkling throughout this story clues about God's provision. You've probably, if you if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you might have picked some of them up. John just kind of inserts, and it was Passover. That would have reminded them of God's deliverance during their time in bondage to Egypt. He says, and the twelve sat on the mountain with Jesus as they wondered how to feed the multitudes. That remind you of anything? Uh, Moses, Jesus is the new Moses. God is about to provide the new manna. Even bread and fish, bread uh, in John is very material. It's the stuff of the earth. It's, it's matter. Fish comes out of the water. I've actually been in this grassy knoll. It, it's, it's beautiful. It rolls right down to the Sea of Galilee. And, uh, you know, that, that would have been where they would have caught the fish. And in John, fish represents spirit. And so you've got matter and spirit there uh, kind of coming together to, to meet the, the needs of these people. So Jesus begins to, to act, and he starts off by having the people sit down. You know, and it's interesting, maybe this is a, a, a sickness in my mind, but I thought, you know, th- this, could, this could be another episode of Hunger Games. If he was a different kind of king, he could have said, all right, you guys are hungry, fight for it. Here's the food, winner gets it. That's the world he lived in. They would have understood that. He doesn't. He just says, sit down. Like a little kid, just sit down. I'm going to take care of this. And you know, beloved, there are times, and I know we should work hard. I don't worry about you as a people working hard. I think we work too hard sometimes. There are times when you just sit down. <laughs> you just... I, 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 mayday, give, white flag, can't do it. You just sit down. And where does he go to first? Well, he goes to that little kid with the Avengers lunchbox. <laughs> and I just love that. Who does he use? A child whose mommy packed him a lunch. The, the, the person in the community with the least resources was who he uses to meet this need. And there's a lesson there, as Wesley was beautifully sharing with us. And then he takes the loaves, and when he'd given thanks, he distributed them. John uh, is often called the theologian of the Eucharist. John loves... The communion table, John loves to hint at the Eucharist anytime he can. I think this is a Eucharistic uh, clue here. And I think what he wants us to remind us of is that the table represents the calculus of the kingdom. We don't fight our way to the table. We don't work our way to the table. We just come to the table and receive I think that's the way we're supposed to approach these problems, like we approach the table. I just need grace, Lord. I can't, I can't do it. And they had as much as they wanted. <laughs> now, it doesn't say, and miraculously, steak and lobster appeared on every <laughs> picnic basket or something like that. No. 
He doesn't make them rich. I don't think that's the point of the story, is that if you have enough faith, you'll get rich. I think the point of the story is, is that when we really need him, he'll take care of us. We'll, we'll, we'll have enough. Maybe not more than enough, but enough. And when they'd eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from five barley loaves. It's such a beautiful (laughs) 12 again, right? Uh, 12 representing the 12 tribes of Israel. This is the new Israel and the new Moses leading them into the new promised land and the provision of the manna has come. And it's a way of saying, you know, just as God provided for Israel in the wilderness, so he will provide for us as well. I love this. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. So the ultimate point, I think, of this beautiful story is is, is not just that our needs get met, but that in these tests, in these trials, when you, you just don't have the resources to do what he's called you to do, there's a way that you come to know him more deeply. I was facing a situation recently like that, and a friend of mine texted and said, uh, what are you learning about God in the midst of this? Isn't that a great question? I'm always trying to solve the problem or fuss about the problem. But actually, these seasons can be a wonderful time to get to know Jesus more deeply. Let's pray.